Okay, so this morning, open your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 16. And so we're, we're four weeks into a, a series on discipleship. We're, we're studying what does it mean biblically to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and if you've missed a couple of weeks or, or maybe you're, you're catching up uh, this week for the first time, let me just tell you that we're four weeks in and there's no way I can review everything uh, that we've talked about, but I'm going to try. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, <laughs> not going to try. Uh, but I am going to tell you that we've covered a lot of material. As a matter of fact, we've studied this word disciple uh, somewhat thoroughly through the Bible. We actually found the first instance all the way back in Isaiah chapter 8 in the Old Testament. God even had disciples, if you will, in the Old Testament. And, and he used uh, Isaiah the prophet uh, as an example and also an example of to take God's word and invest it in other uh, faithful men. And, and that's a picture of discipleship. And we learned some characteristics uh, from Isaiah chapter 8, the first time that God mentions the word disciple, there were some interesting characteristics that surrounded that passage, and it really set the tone for the rest of the, the Bible study that we're going to be doing on discipleship. And we learned early on that biblical disciples, man, they, they, they're receptive to God's words. You know, we talked about how a disciple of Jesus is a learner of Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus Christ, and he wants to hear God's word. So, you know, the first thing that we ever hear is the gospel, right? Like spiritually speaking, that's the first thing that, that God wants us to respond to. But after we come to Christ and saving knowledge of, of Christ in our life, we, we put our faith and trust in the gospel, a biblical disciple continues to desire to hear God's words. In other words, once we get saved, our spiritual ears are opened to the things of God. And just like a new baby that desires milk, we desire to hear God's Word so that we can grow. And, and we learned that from, from that first passage a couple of week, weeks ago, that, that biblical disciples are receptive to God's Word and they have a right walk with God. In other words, when they get saved, they begin walking and following their Savior. And, and man, we run into people all the time in our, our city, uh, and it's a poor testimony, and hopefully it's not your testimony, but people that would say that, man, I'm a believer in Christ, and then the next question is, well, how is that working out for you? How's your relationship with Christ? And, and most people, if they're honest, they would say, well, it's not really good. I don't, I don't read God's word. I don't pray to God. I don't attend church. I don't serve God in any capacity. And, and I, I made the point a couple of weeks ago, and it's worth making again, that you can be a believer in Christ and yet not be a follower of Christ. That's a really poor testimony. No offense, right? And, and, but there are people like that. Biblical disciples actually have a right walk with God. They're, they're following God. It doesn't mean they're perfect. Listen, none of us are perfect. Uh, you won't have to look too far to, to find imperfection in any church and any Christian. But there are people that genuinely are trying to follow God with their life. And, and man, they stumble and they fall, but they're headed in the right direction. That's what a disciple's life looks like. And then thirdly, we learned that disciples have a right reverence of God's person. And, and what we learned is that, man, if we have a, a right perspective of God in our life, every other relationship in our life will fall into the right perspective. In other words, we can't have a greater love uh, for, for a spouse or a child, and we also can't have a greater fear uh, to any other person, even the devil, right? You can't, you can't fear the devil more than you fear God. If you fear God rightly, you don't have to fear anything else. And there's a lot of things in this world that give us fear, for sure, man. If you, if you spend any time on the news, man, it's world war, it's political, it's, it's crazy town. 
And, and if you're not careful, you'll start fearing things more than the God of this universe. And, and God wants us to have a right perspective of his character. The fear of the Lord is a biblical principle, and biblical disciples actually reverence God above all. And we saw that out of Isaiah's life. And then lastly, we saw that Isaiah took the words that God gave him, and he found men to give them the words. In other words, he reproduced the word of God into other people. And so we saw that the disciples are faithful to reproduce other disciples. And so, and so man, as we, we continue this thread of discipleship, all we're doing each week is studying, man, where does God use the word disciple in the Bible? Now, the truth is, that would give us 274 sermons. And, uh, you know, ain't nobody got time for that, right? So, so what we're doing is taking about six weeks and just saying, hey, let's hit the high points biblically because we believe that biblical discipleship is important. We believe it's a part of our church. We believe it's, it's, it's part of the Great Commission. But when we talk about discipleship, there's so many different perspectives, right? Like if you ask one person, what do you think discipleship is? They'll say, well, it's a, it's a six-week or eight-week Bible study. And if you ask somebody else what discipleship is, they're like, well, it's, a, it's an accountability group amongst believers, right? There seems to be this nebulous uh, understanding of what discipleship is. Everybody knows the word, but nobody can actually put their finger on what it is biblically, right? And everybody has a definition. And, and what we want to accomplish in this series is just to make sure that when we talk about discipleship, we're doing it from a biblical perspective. Man, what does God say about discipleship? What does God say about disciples? What do they look like? Am I one? And how do I get involved in the ministry of discipleship? And so that's all we're trying to do. I'm giving you the, the, the I'm pulling the veil back. That's all we're trying to do with this series is to make sure that we understand what discipleship as a church is. Okay, so in Acts chapter 16, this morning, we're going to yet again look at a biblical usage of the word disciple. And we're going to see a man that's called a disciple named Timotheus, Timothy in the Bible. Many of you probably, if you've read the Bible, you know this story. But let me remind you of the text, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 to 5. It says, Then came he to Derbe and to Lystra, and the he in this story is the apostle Paul. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him. And he took and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters. For they knew all, they, they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went throughout the cities, they delivered unto them decrees to keep and they were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number. And so this morning, we're going to look at this man named Timothy. And what we're going to learn, the key principle about discipleship really is your sermon title this morning. It's the witness of a disciple. We're going to talk about the witness of a disciple. In other words, what kind of witness does a disciple carry? What, what's your witness worth? And, and what is your testimony worth? And, and what is your testimony and your witness? That's the, the question that we're asking as we begin this morning. And so I want to pray for us. Are, are you guys cool with that? Let's pray. And uh, man, just pray that God gives you what you need this morning. I know that I need things and I know that, that you need things. And so man, let's pray and ask God to give us what we need from his word. Father, thank you 
for the morning. Thank you for the time of, of praise and, and for our worship team. And uh, God, just singing songs that echo, man, your worth, your value, uh, that you're worthy of lifted hands and a lifted heart, and you're worthy of our attention, and you're worthy of our focus. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, God, give us wisdom. Uh, Lord, we're here, uh, and we want to hear from you. And, and God, as, as your word is opened, uh, let these words be your words. God, move me out of the way. Let your messenger not be a distraction. Uh, but God, speak to us clearly from your word. And I know every person in this place, God, has a need uh, because we're needy people. And, and those needs may be different, but God, you know every one of us intimately and personally. And so God, I pray you'd meet us right where we are. Speak to us through your word. And may we walk out of here knowing you better and being transformed by the word of God. We love you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So, so as we, we get into Acts chapter 16, and, and I hope you've taken notes this morning, I, I want to encourage you, man, let me give you the context of what's happening in the story. You know, don't you, maybe this doesn't bother you, but it, does, it bothers me. If I ever listen to a guy preaching, and uh, man, he opens this Bible, and he just starts just blasting from the Word of God, but he never really sets the context of what's going on. Does that make sense? Like, like you don't even know really what's happening in the story. It's just verses coming at you. You know what I'm talking about? And so, and so man, we want to make sure we understand why are we looking at this passage? And what's the point of this passage as it relates to us in discipleship? And so this morning, let me give you the historical application of this text because Paul and his team have fled Lystra and Derbe due to persecution. The reason that... that that, that Paul is even in Lystra and Derby in Acts 16 is because he actually fled there in Acts chapter 14. And, and so what you find is that, that in Acts chapter 16, Paul is on his second missionary journey. Paul's an apostle. He's been sent by the church at Antioch, he and Barnabas, and they began preaching the gospel to all these different regions. And in Acts 14, verses 1 to 7, and I think I got a huge chunk of text you guys read that? Can you guys in the back row read that? I always wonder about the font size, so you got to give me a thumbs down if you can't read that. But look at this text, because Acts 14 is before Acts 16. You're welcome. Okay, I just want you to know I know what I'm talking about up here. I know what I'm talking about. So Acts 14, it says this, it came to pass in Iconium. So this is Paul's first missionary journey. It came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, they, they abode speaking boldly in the, in the Lord and gave testimony unto the word of his grace, granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands, but, but, but the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews of their rulers to use them despitefully, listen, and to stone them. And they were aware of it. In other words, word got out that they are about to get stoned. They're, they're, they're going to get murdered for preaching the gospel in Iconium. And word got back to Paul and to Barnabas and to the team. They were aware of it and they fled, listen, to Lystra and Derbe cities of Lycanoa unto the region that lieth about. Now listen to verse 7. And there they preached the gospel. Okay, so, so you need to know that in Acts 14, Paul ended up in Lystra and Derby because of persecution. From his first missionary journey, he was in Iconium, 
And they didn't like what was happening, and so they, they were going to stone them. They were going to kill them. And so Paul and his team got aware of that, and they fled to Lystra and Derby. But listen, when they got there, they didn't hide. They didn't, they didn't you know, feel sorry for themselves and wallow in their pity. What they did is when they got to Lystra and Derby, they preached the gospel. And so get this key in your notes. Persecution many times creates opportunities for preaching. And I know you're not awake yet and didn't have your coffee yet, but can you just think about that perspective for a second? Can you understand that sometimes difficult things happen in your life and my life, and we don't even, we don't even see what God is doing many times? God allowed persecution to come to Paul to get the gospel yet to another city. And I don't know why your stuff keeps breaking, man, but maybe it's so you can witness to the maintenance man. I'm just saying. Hello? I mean, seriously, like, like we don't have that perspective because we try to separate our walk with God from everything else in our life. Uh, I remember, I was thinking about this this week, and I think we shared, we shared this with a couple we're discipling right now. Like, like, man, I remember when we first got married, we had problems with everything. We were broke, number one. We were living on love, and we were still broke. We had a lot of love, but we are still broke. And so, and everything broke, man. We, we lived in an apartment, we had beater cars, and, and we ended up, man, these, these cars, man, like, my wife can't even tell this story because she'll get upset. These cars, it was like every other week something's going out on the car. Man, the alternator's going out, you know, something electrical, a bushing is going out. And so it's like every month we're taking this car to the mechanic, and we use the same mechanic. Like, we're on first-name basis now. Like, like he, and when I call, he's like, oh, hey, Jay, you know, type thing. And so I'm like, man, what in the world is going on? And I finally had to come to the realization that I told the mechanic, right, wrong, or indifferent, I was like, man, I don't know why God keeps sending me to you. You probably need to get saved. Are you, do you know Christ? Like, I'm serious. I was dead serious. Like, I'm, I'm upset because I keep having to spend money. And I'm upset because I keep seeing your stinking face. <laughs> why, am I, why am I seeing you like once a month? And I had to just come to terms and say, bro, listen, I don't know why God is sending me to you. Do you know Christ? Do you know the gospel? And if you don't, can you please get saved? You know, like, you know what? That's a perspective change, right? Because, because somehow if you don't have that perspective, what you think is that, that all the things that are happening in your life, God is somehow outside of that. And yet God gives us opportunities to preach the gospel and many times right in the middle of persecution, right in the middle of suffering, right in the middle of difficulty. You see, we can't wait till things are perfect to begin sharing the gospel. We can't. And, 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 and the truth is, if you wait till they're perfect, you'll never share the gospel because they'll never be perfect. There'll always be a challenge. And so in the course of life, even in the difficulties, look for open doors to share Christ. Okay, so, so look at Acts 14, because Paul gets into Lystra and Derby and listen, he starts preaching the gospel, and people get saved. But listen, not everybody's happy about it. Not everybody's happy. Verse 19, same chapter. It says, there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. Remember, that's the place they tried to stone him the first time. The, these Jews come down, and they persuaded the people. Check this out. And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. They got him. They got him. Man, they caught up to him, and they stoned him. And man, listen, he was so stoned, 
that everyone thought he was dead. And they drug his carcass out of the body. Out, out, not out of the body. They drug him out of the city. And, and, and look at verse 20. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Bro, what? So the historical point is, Paul is experiencing persecution. Man, he gets stoned in Lystra and Derby. They think he's dead. And man, for whatever reason, God gives him grace. And he gets up, and instead of fleeing, he goes right back into that city. And he goes right back to Iconium, and he preaches the gospel again. And then it it tells us in, in verse 22, he confirmed the souls of the disciples, and he exhorted them to continue in the faith that we, through much tribulation, must enter into the kingdom of God. Do you see how Paul went right back to the people he had led to Christ, and then through his tribulation and suffering, encouraged them, you may have to experience this too. It's okay. It's okay. He he confirmed the souls of the disciples. In verse 23, it tells us that he ordained elders in every church. So man, listen. Paul Paul talks about this experience in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I don't think it's in your notes, but if you want to write it down. 2 Timothy 3 verses 10 through 11. Paul talked about these, these persecutions. And he says, listen, I endured them and out of all of them the Lord delivered me. Just, man, just be faithful to do what God's called you to do. And so again, man, maybe that, again, man, I want to be sensitive, but, but maybe that doctor that you have to go see needs the gospel. Maybe that nurse that you have to go see needs the gospel. Maybe that mechanic that you know on a first name basis needs the gospel. And man, whatever's breaking, whatever persecution or tribulation that you're experiencing, Listen, we need to understand that that's just part of it. Paul endured persecution, but it presented him opportunities to preach the gospel. And I don't think it's a wrong thing to say, hey man, I don't know why God brought us together, but, but do you know Christ? Do you know the Lord? And so now in Acts chapter 16, Paul is back into this city and area of Lystra and Derby. And the reason I, get all, I went all the way around big circle is to help us understand that as we talk about discipleship, what started in that area wasn't discipleship. What started in that area was evangelism. So biblical discipleship, get this key in your notes, biblical discipleship is always preceded by evangelism. You can't have discipleship without evangelism. And man, maybe you've been sitting here the last couple of weeks and you say, okay, Jay, I'm learning about discipleship. I'm getting some of these principles down. Can I help you understand the way you want to jumpstart that in your own life is to begin sharing the gospel. Begin being evangelistic. Okay, I didn't know if you were listening right there, but, but here's, here's the problem in a church, and sometimes it's a problem in this church. We say things like, hey, uh, Pastor Jay, when is the next person that I can disciple? When, when can I disciple a person? And, and, and lovingly, man, I, I appreciate the zeal to want to do that and get involved in that ministry. And I got some great news for you. Here's the answer. You ready? When can I start discipling a person? When you win one. 
when you win one to Christ. That, that'd be a good start, right? Because otherwise, listen, listen, if we don't understand the context of, of biblical discipleship, we will bypass evangelism just so that we can have a Bible study. We'll bypass evangelism so that we can have a, a, a person that we're pouring into. And listen, we need people to pour into. And, and listen, unfortunately, I didn't have the privilege of leading all of you to Christ. Some of you showed up here saved, and I'm thankful for that. And, and, but, but we wanted to disciple you, but, but listen, if you missed the fact that discipleship begins with evangelism, you missed it. And I'll take the blame for that. We have to share the gospel and, and so biblical discipleship is always preceded by evangelism. And, and there are times where we have to pair people up in our church, man. But wouldn't it be great if your heart's to de- desire was, I want to disciple God, the guy I went to Christ. I want to disciple the lady that I lead to Christ. Does that make sense? I, I want to start with evangelism. And, and most Christians aren't comfortable with that because that means you have to get outside of these four walls. Right? That means you have to get outside of these four walls. Hey, God help us if we go outside these four walls and we can talk about everything else under the sun except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you guys okay with that? Are you hearing me? Because we got no problem talking about all different things, sports, politics, religion, community. Listen, the thing that needs to be on our lips is the gospel. It needs to be the gospel. You can't have discipleship without evangelism. And so we have to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the second thing that we see in Acts 16, or excuse me, Acts 14, is that when Paul the first time went through Lystra and Derby, he established churches. And so get this second key in your note. Biblical discipleship is connected back to the local church. Biblical discipleship is connected to local churches. Because Paul went back through that area in Acts 14, he confirmed the souls of the disciples. And the Bible says in in chapter 14 and verse 22 that he ordained elders in every church. And so these were churches that were planted and disciples that were made and leadership that was ordained. And because of that in Acts 14, and man, you got to wake up and get some coffee. Listen, because of what happened in Acts 14, when Paul came back through in Acts 16, he finds a dude that's a disciple and his name is Timothy. Well, how could he find a disciple? Because of the gospel, because of local churches, and because of biblically ordained leadership. That's how disciples are made. It's through the ministry of a local church. Man, that, that's a critical piece of this puzzle. We can't do it any other way. We can try, but as soon as we step outside the boundary of the local church, we have violated biblical precedent. Okay, so that's the historical background, and you're looking at your notes saying there's no way this dude's going to get done, and that, that's okay, you owe you a little faith, okay, but, but listen, as much as we understand the history, you need to understand why the book of Acts is in your Bible, because as we get to the story of, of Timothy, you need to understand that, that it's important to piece together Why is this story in Acts so important? Well, here's a couple of tips for you. Acts is a transitional book in your Bible. It moves us from the Gospels to the book of Romans. And and so in your your notes, you have a lot of transitions, and we're going to hit these very quickly. But as as you read the book of Acts, you you see very clearly that it's a transitional book. It moves us from the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, that, 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 that statement 
will take you a good six months to, to truly understand. If you're diligent to study the Bible, what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's the literal physical kingdom that Christ will establish on this earth. What is the kingdom of God? It's the spiritual kingdom that if you're a believer, you're already part of it. You're part of the kingdom of God right now. You say, I don't, I don't, see, I don't see a throne. I don't see a kingdom, a castle. I don't see any of that. Well, it's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. It's the spiritual kingdom that God has you in right now. But, but make no mistake, there will be a literal establishment of God's kingdom on this earth. So the book of Acts moves us from the offer of the physical kingdom to the nation of Israel to the spiritual kingdom of God. Number two, it transitions from the nation of Israel as God's delivery system or vehicle to the church. You see, God through the Old Testament worked through a nation. It was the nation of Israel. But as, as, as they rejected their Messiah three specific times, God says, okay, you ain't going to hurt me, man. I'll just shift for a moment and use another people group to accomplish my work. And listen, the church is the spiritual body of Christ. It doesn't replace the nation of Israel. It's a different entity altogether. And the thing that God is using now the church, the body of Christ. But God, again, will, will focus on Israel. This is all prophetic stuff. And again, man, you just need to know that the book of Acts moves from a focus on Israel to now a focus on the church. Number three, it transitions from a, an emphasis on the Jew to now an emphasis to reaching all the Gentiles. Man, aren't you thankful that God chose to, to extend his grace to the Gentile nations? No offense, you're all Gentiles. As I look in the room, like, man, aren't you, we, didn't, we didn't deserve that. There's nothing we did to earn that. God just extended his grace to us beyond just his physical lineage people. It's just, just, just Gentiles, man, like us. I'm thankful. You see that transition in the book of Acts. You see God move his base of operations from Jerusalem to a place called Antioch in the book of Acts. God moves his center of operations from from right in Jerusalem to a, a church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13, God transitions from temple worship at the beginning of the book of Acts to the establishment of local churches by the end of the book of Acts. Man, there's churches everywhere, and people aren't going back to the temple to worship God. They're worshiping God in assemblies just like this. Well, not just like this, because we have air conditioning, but, but like similar to this, we're just fellow Families of believers gather together and worship God. And then, and then lastly, the book of Acts transitions from the apostle Peter to the apostle Paul. And, and the ministry of those two men certainly paralleled, but there's also distinct differences. You say, why is it important to know all of that about the book of Acts? Because we're in Acts chapter 16. And what that means is all of those transitions have happened. And so we're in the ministry of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. We're in the establishment of local churches in the book of Acts. And what that means doctrinally for us is that disciple-making is for the New Testament church. In other words, because local churches were involved in the ministry of discipleship, we need to follow that pattern. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure... You can call yourself a biblical New Testament church if you aren't engaged in the ministry of discipleship. 
I don't know if you can call yourself a biblical church and, and have grace. I don't know if you can call yourself a biblical Christian if you're not engaged in the ministry of discipleship. Because God has established that ministry paired with the ministry of evangelism. That is the work of the ministry. And God didn't ask your opinion or mine about it. He's established it. And the, the danger in our churches is that we get busy doing things. And it's things that many times we like or we think that, hey, we can make this work or that work. And, and all the, look, it's, God gave you a creative mind for a reason. But concerning the ministry, there's no creativity allowed. It's evangelism and discipleship. It's fish and bread. We talked about that last week. It's a fish and chip ministry. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to raise spiritually mature believers. And if a church won't do that, I don't think they're a biblical New Testament church. And if a Christian doesn't do that, I don't know if you're really a biblical New Testament Christian. It's important. And so what we find in Acts 16 is Paul going back into this area. And what he finds is a disciple. And so this morning, let me give you three devotional points real quick. And and we'll get what we need and head up out of here. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. Biblical discipleship, biblical disciples have a witness. And here's the first point. Biblical disciples can be found. And I want you to go back to verse 1. It's on the screen, but just check this out. When Paul came back into Derby and Lystra, the Bible says, Behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and he believed, <coughs> excuse me, she believed, but his father was a Greek. Biblical disciples can be found. And again, if I go back to the standard definition that most churches use of discipleship, it's a Bible study, it's accountability, it's counseling, it's mentorship. Fill in the blank. I always want to know, where are they? Like, like where are the disciples of Jesus Christ today? Where are they? Can they be found? Well, according to, to Acts chapter 16, they can. You see, it says, Behold, a certain disciple was there. Now that word behold in your Bible, it means to look upon, to direct your eyes towards something. In other words, if I say, behold, everybody's going to be like, what's he looking at? What what do you want me to look at? Behold, we're out of coffee, behold. (laughs) Fix it. It's, it's something that you direct your eyes to, right? And so listen, God used that word all the way back in Genesis for the very first time when God was addressing Adam. God said, behold, look, I've given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the, in, in the which there's the fruit of a tree yielding seed, and, and to you it shall be for me. God told Adam, look at what I've given you. You can find it. Just open your eyes and behold. And I don't think we we quite understand the significance of that word. It means to look upon and to turn your eyes toward. If you you know the story in Genesis, God God told Adam and told Eve, behold, all the things I provided. Look at these things. And if you know in Genesis chapter 3 what happens, the serpent, the Satan, Satan comes in and he, he deceives the woman and, and gets her to look at something else, right? She stopped beholding what God had provided and she began to behold 
what God had forbidden. She shifted her eyes. She saw the tree was good for food and that was pleasant to the eyes, right? In John chapter 1 and verse 21, John the Baptist, the, 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 the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the man that God used to announce the coming of the Messiah to the nation of Israel. It said, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, listen, behold the Lamb of God. And what he's saying is, look, behold him. He's the Lamb of God. And so, it, and so here's, how, here's the point I'm trying to make. Listen, as Paul comes into the city of Derby and Lystra, and the Word of God says, behold, a certain disciple was there. You see, this thing of discipleship isn't nebulous or abstract. It's not something that you can't know and can't see. No, God actually says that you can behold an actual disciple. You can actually find them. Look at Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. It's on the screen. When when Paul, uh, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. Check this out. And finding certain disciples. You see, a disciple can be found. It's not some nebulous search that never lands on a specific person or a specific thing. See, we can keep talking about discipleship and not nail down a definition and not nail down a person. Who really is a disciple? We're all disciples. Are we? Are we? Would, Would Paul agree with that? If Paul walked right in those doors this morning, would Paul be able to find disciples in this place? Acts 21, verses 3 to 4. We had discovered Cyprus. We left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria, landed in Tyre, for the ship was to unlaid her burden. Listen to this. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days. You see, I, I many times wonder, what would Paul find if he came here other than coffee and donuts, man? I wonder what Paul would find. Listen, no doubt he would find the friendliest people in Huntsville. You have that reputation, by the way. I think, I think most people that, that visit our church commend your hospitality. And that praise God for that. I'm thankful for that. But would Paul find church members? I think he would. Would Paul find church attenders? Yeah, probably. Some more regular than others. Would God, would Paul find skeptics in this place? Absolutely. Atheists, agnostics, maybe. Evolutionists, maybe. Would he find religious men and women? Probably. Would he find believers in Christ in this place? Yeah, I'm one. I hope you are. I mean, yeah. But the key question is, man, would he find disciples? Would he find disciples of Christ? You see, You see, we can find a lot of things in a lot of churches today, but the question on the table for all of us, for any church and for any Christian is, can we find a disciple of Jesus Christ? What exactly does that look like? Number two in your notes is this. Biblical disciples have a reputation. You see, somebody that's a disciple of Christ can be found Someone that is a disciple of Christ can be picked out of a crowd. Someone that's a disciple of Christ is not just a church attender or, or someone that, that uh, you know, darkens the door of the church or throws a little money in the offering. But listen, all those things are fine things. Thank you for being here. 
that that doesn't make you a disciple of Christ. It doesn't make me a disciple of Christ. There's, there's more to it than just that. And what we see in Timothy's life is that he had a reputation. Look at verse 2. Concerning Timothy, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. You see, between Paul's and first and second mission trip, Timothy probably got saved on that first trip. Probably Paul possibly led him to Christ, was a part of the church in Lystra, grew in maturity. When Paul comes back around the second time, this dude has a reputation among all the churches and all the brethren, and it's a well report. It's a well report. You see, you see, what began in Acts 14 had begun to perfect in Acts chapter 16. Timothy had a well report of the brethren. So what that means is, not only can a disciple be found, but a disciple is known. Which, it's not in your blanks, that, that's free, you can write it down. But it also means that that if you're not a disciple, well, that's known too. And this is, again, where, where this series on discipleship gets a little close to the skin. Because you already have a reputation. And I do too. You already have a reputation that precedes you concerning these things. What would the brethren... And I'm not ready for that slide, Derek, but, but man, what would the brethren say about you? Would you have a good report among the brethren? What would the church family say about you? What would believers in Christ in other churches that we co- connect with and partner with, what would they say of you? Because it's interesting that, that Paul calls out two cities, Lystra and Iconium, that knew who Timothy was. And that could validate this dude is legit. He's a real disciple. You see, you see, a good report is something that God requires of us as a disciple of Christ. In your notes, a good report is required for church leadership. If you want to be a leader, if you feel like God's calling you into the ministry uh, to be a pastor or to be a deacon, can I just tell you this thing of having a good report is actually required? You can't be a leader if you don't have a good report. So so in Acts chapter 6 and verse 3, when when it talks about the deacons, it says, Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. Listen, don't you want your pastors and deacons to have a proper testimony and reputation? Listen, if you don't, God does. He does. He cares about your reputation. 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to be a pastor, listen, God says that concerning a bishop or pastor, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. And what he's talking about in that verse is actually those that are outside the church. In other words, leaders ought to have a good testimony inside the church, but can I just tell you, you can't be a different guy on Sunday morning than you are on Monday morning. And you know, one of the, one of the most important things we can do in leadership selection And leadership vetting is to make a phone call to the people that know this dude outside of this place. You know, when we appointed deacons, when we appointed deacons, we asked for their, if they were employed by someone else, we asked for their their employer's phone number. 
And we made a real awkward call. And some people's bosses got a phone call, and, uh, and I said, hey, my name is Jay Shug, pastor of Community Fellowship Baptist Church. Uh, this call is in reference to so-and-so's character and testimony in the workplace. Would you validate whether or not this dude is really legit? Because I don't see him Monday through Saturday. And man, I, there were some dudes on the other end of the phone that were like, what? What are you... What are you even talking about? And I'm like, bro, listen, man. I mean, this is part of the biblical process of vetting leaders. Like, they got to be the same people outside of the church as they are in the church. And it was a great testimony to some lost employers to hear a pastor in a church concerned about a person's reputation outside of this place. You see, you see we have to have a good re- report for leadership, not just within the body of Christ, but outside, even in the lost world. I wonder how many pastors that would disqualify. I wonder how many pastors that would disqualify. That, man, their reputation is such that within these four walls, oh, yeah, everybody loves them, thinks they're, they're, they're spot on, thinks they're, they're flawless, all these different things. Okay, yeah, fine. Uh, how about the dude that, that ran across him this week? fixing his air conditioner. Would that guy think that he's got a good report? Would the lost people that he interacts with in restaurants or at the gas station or in Home Depot or Lowe's, I got to throw the Lowe's in there. Sorry, Alex. Okay, so any, anywhere in life outside of this place, would there be a validation of his reputation? You know, widows have to have a good report. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that the church is to care for widows but can I tell you that, that there's a criteria? There's a criteria that a widow actually has to have a well report of good works. See, there's biblical qualifications for even the church to minister to widows. There's age requirements. There's character requirements. There's family requirements. God cares about our reputation. God cares about your reputation. Truth is, you already have one, whether you like it or not, and it precedes you. And so how do you get a good report? The question is, how do you get a good report? Well, a good report is obtained through a life of faith. It's obtained through a life of faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a what? A good report. And can I just tell you that, listen, when you live a life of faith, what you're doing is you're applying God's Word practically to your life. You're believing it and obeying it through faith. And man, the working out of that in your life gives you a good report. Even with people that don't agree with you. They just recognize that, yeah, that that guy's crazy, man, because he's a Christian and he follows the Lord and he reads the Bible and he, he just does what the Bible says. And I don't like it. But that's just what he does. Well, that's a good report. That's a good report. As we go through the scripture, man, God over and over gives us men that have a good report. There's a dude named Ananias in Acts chapter 22. God used a man of good report, Ananias, to help Saul regain his sight. God used a man named Demetrius in 3 John verse 12. He had a good report. And the Bible says Demetrius, check this out, he had a good report of all men. There was no haters, man against Demetrius. 
and of the truth itself. So even the truth verified that Demetrius was a a good guy. And John says, we also bear record. In other words, this dude, this dude's legit. So here's the question. Man, it, it doesn't mean to be offensive, but it is certainly meant to be considered. What is your report of the brethren? Now, when I ask that question, the immediate thought is, oh, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm a faithful servant. I'm all these different things. Like, like we think about ourselves in the best, we generally think about others in the worst, right? Okay, turn the halo down. I know that that's what you do because everybody does that, all right? But listen, listen, you have a report of the brethren and what your reputation is really matters in ministry. And listen, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, it would be worth your time to just ask. Hey, brother, what do you see in my life? What do you see in my life? Do, do I have a good testimony? Do I have a good reputation? Do I, do I live the life of a disciple in your eyes? You know why we don't ask that question? Because we probably already know the answer, right? See, we don't want to be humble enough and vulnerable enough to have one speak truth into our life. And man, I love you enough to tell you, your reputation already precedes you. And for some of us, that ought to concern us. Because the reality is our reputation is not that of a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a reputation of a churchgoer, a church member, a morally right person. But man, those are different things than the disciple of Jesus Christ. What is our report among the brethren? Man, it'd be wise for you to ask that question. And go to somebody that will love you enough to tell you the truth. That's hard, isn't it? But that's what Paul found. See, when he got to Lystra and Derby, behold, there's a certain disciple. There he is. He's not just a morally right guy. He's not just a church attender. But this dude is actually following Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, later, Paul would write about Timothy, and, and he, would, he would actually send him in his place on his behalf in Philippians chapter 2. And he says of Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Paul's writing to the, the church at Philippi, and he says, listen, this dude loves you as much as I do, and he cares about you as much as I do. Verse 20, 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are Christ." But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. You see, there was some proof in Timothy's life. Your reputation has proof. But if there is no proof, are you really a disciple? Are you, are you really a disciple? Listen, you can be. 
And God wants you to be just because you want it. We learned it, men, this weekend. Look, just because you want it, you have a desire, doesn't mean you have it. That's a sluggard who's full of desire but hasn't got what he desires. It takes work. Okay, and then, and then we'll wind it down right here. Number three. Look, I got a lot more, but you guys, I can tell the coffee ain't working this morning. So point number three, let me give you this. Biblical disciples are willing to work. Verse number three. Check this out. I love, I just love this whole passage. Verse three. So Paul finds this certain disciple, and it says him, Timothy, the, the context is Timothy, him would Paul have to go forth with him. In other words, hey, bro, you're valuable to the mission. I want to take you with me because we have things to do. This is where it gets awkward. And he took and he circumcised him. Whoa. <laughs> because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Man, that got really awkward really fast, didn't it? Jeez, okay. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a disciple now. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so listen, this would have been Timothy's first mission trip, right? This would have been his first short-term mission trip. And, and Paul says, dude, you're legit, man. And, and you got the testimony. You're well-reported. And I need help. Man, you're coming with me. I, I hope you see that progression. Man, once you, get, once you get engaged and growing, God wants to use you in the mission. All I see in this room is potential laborers for God's work. That's what we are. And so get this progress, man. Timothy, just like us, number one, was a listener. He listened to the gospel. He got saved. But then he became a learner. He became a disciple of Jesus Christ through learning God's word. And then thirdly, listen, he became a laborer because he had to do something with it. And that's why we have MTT. No offense, MTT is called Ministry Tools and Training. We're giving you the tools and training to do the work of the ministry. And man, when you see it in Timothy's life, you see the same thing in Jesus and his apostles. uh, Yeah, his disciples and apostles. Listen, it, it all works out the same way. Once you listen and learn, it's time to go to work. Time to go to work. We got stuff to do. Now, we gotta we gotta talk about that weird thing there, right? The weird thing. Because like Timothy's ready to go, and Paul's willing for him to join him, but there's this whole thing, right? He took him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. And man, let me just devotionally give you an application, man. If God's going to use you, it's going to cost you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you. Now, that, that's kind of a weird statement, and I understand that, but you have to understand the context. Timothy was raised Jewish, yet his father was a Greek. He had a Jewish mother and a Jewish grandmother. The Bible tells us that Timothy had access to the Holy Scriptures, which were able to make him wise unto salvation. But he was a Jew by birth, and yet he had not observed the the covenant of circumcision that made him a physical Jew. So this has nothing to do with Timothy's salvation, because Timothy's already received the gospel of Jesus Christ circumcision doesn't make him a Jew and therefore make him right in God's eyes. But you need to understand that if Timothy was going to have a a proper reputation with the Jewish community, he had to follow those customs to gain influence to preach the gospel. And that's what Paul understands, and that's what Timothy understands. And he's willing to make the sacrifice 
to be an effective minister. Here's what I'm saying, man, listen, listen. And again, I'm not trying to be weird about that point. But when God calls you to a work, it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to cost you something to be engaged in the ministry. You won't be comfortable. Timothy was most certainly not. We won't get into all that, but bro, for real. And listen, you know that it's because of his Jewish heritage. There's another dude in the Bible named Titus who was 100% Gentile. He was 100% Greek. In Galatians chapter 2, the Bible says, Neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Listen, that's not a requirement for New Testament believers. And Timothy didn't have to do it to, to be more saved. But he, but he probably had to do it to be more effective in ministry. And there's things that we have to make, decisions that we have to make, costs that we have to count, sacrifices we have to consider in order to be available for God to use us. God will have you walk away from some things so that you can walk to some things so that God can use you. And man, maybe that's a job, maybe that's a hobby, maybe that's the way you structure your time, your schedule. Listen, it's, it's living status, house size, <laughs> the level of car that you drive, man. You, God may want you on the beater budget so that you're not bound down with a car payment so you can be free to do ministry. You better know a good mechanic. Get on first name basis with him and lead him to Christ. <laughs> I'm just telling you, man. I mean, there's things that you're going to have to walk away from. You're going to have to sacrifice. Look how God uses Timothy in verse 4, and then we're done. Check this out. And as they went through the city, so now, man, Timothy makes the sacrifice. He does what's required. He joins Paul, and now they're on this mission trip. Man, they went through the cities. They, they delivered them the decrees for to keep, which were ordained the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. What they did was they took these letters in Acts 15 that were written to the churches, and Paul and Timothy took those letters, those, those decrees, to the churches. Check this out. And the churches were established in the faith and increased in number daily. That's awesome, man. Listen, God will use a disciple to make a difference. So here's the last key, and we're done. Look, when a disciple becomes a co-laborer, the church benefits Man, when, when you mature through a process of discipleship and you become a co-laborer in this ministry, man, our church is better because of it. Our church is better. Man, our church can get established in the faith. I'm thankful that we have capable men that can teach God's word. I, I mean, l- listen, seriously, God has been really good to this place. We got dudes that can stand and preach and teach. We got dudes that can evangelize. We got dudes that can minister our church is established in the faith because of the work of disciples. Man, why wouldn't you want to be one? Why wouldn't you want to be one? Are you one? Do you have that reputation? Man, I'm here every Sunday. Okay, man, praise the Lord, dude. I'm glad. Come early. You can get the donut first. Whatever. But are you a disciple? Do you have that witness? And if not, why not? You know, for some of you, you may not even be a disciple because you're not saved yet. And you need to come to the place where you recognize, man, if I died today without Christ, I'd go to the lake of fire and spend eternity in judgment for my sin. 
you haven't come to the place where you've accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith, that you can be forgiven of your sin because of him. Discipleship begins with evangelism. Start there. And man, if you are saved, listen, thank God. You're a believer in Christ. But God's next step for you is to become a disciple, to become a truly follower, committed man or woman of God that can be found and that has that reputation. And man, listen, God wants that for you. I want that for you. That's how this church and this body is edified when God raises up those people in this place. All right, I'm going to pray for us. We're, we're right on time. I'm going, to, I'm going to shut us down. We're going to pray, and then we'll get up out of here. Father, I thank you for your word, and, and God, I pray. Man, you've worked in my heart, Lord. I, there's things that I want to make sure that, that, God, I'm not trying to be a men-pleaser with my life, but I do want my walk with you to be evident. So, God, I, I pray uh, Lord, that I have a, a, a right report, not only in this place, but, but Father, outside of this place. That God, that, that people that know me know, in spite of my flaws and sin, God, that they know that I'm, I'm desiring to follow you, follow your word. God, I pray that's all of our prayers. And, and maybe some of us, we've just not yet made the decision to move from a believer to a disciple. And I pray your Holy Spirit convicts us this morning. Maybe there's somebody in the room today that doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Would you convict their heart of their sin today? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you're like that. You would say, Jay, man, that's me. I don't, I don't know Christ. 